Live from the Burnt Park, USA, I'm Tavis Smiling. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. So glad to see you and me back in stride again. Our phone number 1-800-920-1580. 1-800-920-1580. All of our socials can be found at KBLA 1580. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Everything at KBLA 1580. Let me also invite you right now to download our app at KBLA 1580. Download the app and take us with you anywhere in the world, literally, and listen to us in real time. But only if you download the app right now. At KBLA 1580, should you miss us any day in real time, we invite you to check out the podcast of this program by going to the app, the website, Anchor, Spotify, Apple, so many places to get the podcast of this program and listen at your leisure should you miss us any day in real time. But I am delighted, as always, to have you along live with us today for the next three hours. You can also watch the live stream of this program by tapping on the KBLA TV icon on our app or by going to our YouTube channel. Let me also invite you to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at The Real Tavis Smiley and get Twitter updates at Tavis Smiley. A great show on tap for you today in our second hour. The things that you are most proud of in no particular order, if, if I could put them in three categories right. during your administration, you tell me if I'm right or wrong. Peace, human rights, and energy? I would say the environment. Three. Yeah, yeah, I think energy and environment yeah. are connected. Yeah. We passed a comprehensive energy policy that cut down our imports of oil by 50% in just, in just five years. Ronald Reagan came in. He said, we don't need to save energy. We'll have a great nation on the top of a hill or something like that. We can waste all we want. We don't have to conserve. And so he undid all he could. A lot of the things that we passed in energy policy were embedded in law. And they resulted in tremendous reductions in waste of energy in all kinds of things. We also started the um, use of, of solar energy and windmills and, and hydroelectric and that sort of thing. And, and we've, we've faltered with that. Uh, now China has taken over. China is the number one producer of advanced, uh, uh, advanced windmills and, and, and um, um, photovoltaic cells and so forth. But um, had the energy policy not been abandoned, we wouldn't be in the bad shape we are now. But yes, you're right, Peace. Uh, we had tremendous challenges to my administration and to the United States when I was in, in, in the White House. But we were lucky, I say lucky enough, and, and, and I think maybe used good enough judgment not to start a war. We, we didn't, we never dropped a bomb, we never fired a bullet, we never sh launched a missile during the time I was in office. And, and we still upheld the integrity and, and, and good faith of our country. And, and in human rights, we were the cha world champion of human rights, there's no mm -hmm. doubt about that. So, you know, a lot to be proud of. It's been a good life. And you're it's not been a good life? No, I hope yeah. not. <laughs> but you did give us a scare a few weeks ago, though. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're doing well. But I was yeah. just sick for one day, yeah. but unfortunately... <laughs> With you, Jimmy Carter, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and the next day, you were out building habitat houses was, again. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's good to see you, Mr. President. Nice to be with you all. Always oh, good to have Thank you on. I have had the honor of interviewing former President Jimmy Carter many times over the course of my broadcast career. As we all know, the 98-year-old former president has chosen to spend his remaining days at home in hospice and his hometown of Plains, Georgia, is holding a daily vigil. A daily vigil, I should say. Daily vigil. Uh, we will speak with author Kai Bird about what he calls the unfinished presidency of Jimmy Carter in hour two. In our third hour, the motivator Les Brown continues his month-long radio residency. You've got to be hungry. Today's theme is how to rise from the bottom to the top. Les Brown coming your way 
in just about two hours from now. But in this first hour, two more conversations. On the B side of this hour, a conversation with Dr. Ron Daniels about the upcoming State of the Black World Conference number five. But we will commence today's program in conversation with our regular contributor, Ruben Navarrete Jr., about the recent announcement by California U.S. Senator Dianne Feinstein that she will not run for re-election, but will, in fact, serve out the remainder of her current term, which takes her through 2024. Mm, I'm not sure about that decision. Um, what's it mean for California? What's it mean for the nation? We'll talk about all of that with Ruben Navarrete Jr. when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. By our regular contributor, Ruben Navarrete Jr., who is the most widely read Latino columnist in the nation, courtesy of his uh, columns that are distributed weekly by the Washington Post Writers Group. He is also the host of the very popular podcast, Ruben in the Center. Ruben, uh, how are you, my friend? Good. Thank you, brother. Great to be with you again. Good to have you on. Thank you for the time. We'll uh, talk between now and the bottom of the hour. Just enough time to get into uh, unpacking this recent announcement by uh, California Democratic Senator Dianne Feinstein that she uh, is not going to run for re-election in 2024, but that she will continue to serve out her current term in office, which takes us through, again, another year and uh, more than a year and a half. Um, I've got some questions about this. Before I start uh, drilling down, let me ask you, for starters, what you made of her announcement. Well, yeah, she's always been very strong-willed. The senator does what she wants on her own terms, on her own timeline. Uh, it's safe to say that there have been Democrats in California and around the country who've tried to sort of gently push her off the stage and signal to her that she should retire going back five or six years. But she was determined to end uh, on her own terms, her own timeline. And so she said, basically, look, I'm going to finish out this term. And normally I'd be running for re-election in 2024, but I'm not going to do that. That is set in motion a whole set of, of uh, you know, activities here in California in terms of people jockeying to take that position. But now it's time to size up her legacy and really ask yourself, what has Diane Feinstein done and to put a fine point on it for black folks and brown folks in the state of California over the last 30 years? And my answer is not that much. Mm. Uh, when you say not that much, uh, unpack that for me. Yeah, so, so here's the thing. You, you and I have covered politics for over 30 years, and we know that politicians uh, focus and narrow in on issues that they understand or they're passionate about. Dianne Feinstein has been passionate about four, about three things, I think it's fair to say. Uh, abortion rights, uh, reproduction rights, uh, women's rights in the first category. Uh, secondly, the assault weapons ban, because she came to uh, ascend politically as mayor of San Francisco after a terrible tragedy in, in San Francisco, and she always blamed gun violence, perhaps rightfully so. And third, the environment, where she created Joshua Tree National, uh, National Park and and has uh, really gone to bat for desert uh, preservation and the like. Those are three issues she cares about, but she's not the person you go to when you're talking about hot-button issues that might alienate people, immigration reform, let's say, or or reparations, or any of those hot-button issues. Dianne Feinstein has not been a dependable vote uh, on that front. Those are three good issues, uh, and three issues that matter to Californians. I'm kind of thinking of, 
of the Barack Obama presidency when he told black folk, I'm not the president of black America, I'm the president of all of America. Yeah. And if he were here right now, he'd say, Tavis and Ruben, I tried to advance an agenda that lifted all boats, including those, uh, if I can put it this way, those dinghies that Latinos and black folk happen to be holding on to. <laughs> uh, but, his, but his argument would be right. that I tried to, 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 to uh, uh, his, uh, a rising tide, as they say, lift, lifts all boats. And I tried to advance policies that lifted all people. So you're looking specifically what she did. Uh, for black folk and for brown folk. And if she were here, she might argue that I tried to advance policies that benefited all of Californians and all of Americans. And you'd say what to that? I'd say that that, that, is, that claim is belied by the fact that she had always been, for instance, an advocate for gay Americans, you know, for people in the LBGTQ community coming from San Francisco. She was born in San Francisco. She was the mayor of San Francisco. You know, my gay friends have always seen her as an advocate. Uh, women obviously see her as an advocate. She's a pioneer. She came into the Senate at a very important time in 1992. People forget that in 1991, when you had the Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill hearings, women only represent 2% of the Senate. Mm -hmm. There were only two women in the Senate out of 100, right? So all credit, all credit to Dianne Feinstein for being champion for women and for gay Americans. But once you stick your neck out for those two groups, you don't then get to come back to me and say, well, the reason I didn't stick my neck out for African-American folks and Latino folks is a high tide lifts all boats. Wait a minute. Well, two seconds ago, you were okay targeting certain groups and, and directly you know, servicing those groups, but not our groups. So I think it comes down to really her, her bandwidth for tackling different issues, her understanding of our communities, her interest. She's not a very curious person. Uh, she didn't go to the black community and say, I really don't understand your community. You know, walk me through it. What issues are important to you? Uh, she was content to pretty much demagogue the Republicans and say, well, they're a bunch of racists. you got to vote for me. And it worked. I mean, black folks and brown folks uh, have really high approval ratings for Dianne Feinstein, but I just can't understand why. I want to I want to interrogate that to the extent that she has uh, not just high approval ratings over the course of her, her tenure in the Senate. And obviously yeah. got reelected time and time again. She's now 91. Yep. Yep. Um, but uh, are you suggesting to me that you know better than Latino voters, that Ruben knows better than black voters? <laughs> uh, that's what columnists do, right? <laughs> Radio talk shows and columnists, we get paid to do that. Yeah. If, if we didn't know better, they, they wouldn't give us a paycheck every Friday, right? So yeah. they, that, that is what we do. And, and I think that the, the challenging part, it's kind of a mixed legacy. I like to say, and I'm, I'm saying in my column, the column I'm working on now, that Diane Feinstein was DEI. She was a DEI. She was, she was always sort of the, the ambassador for diversity, inclusion, and equity. Mm-hmm. The problem is it was defined solely for women. Mm. If you are, if you're concerned about diversity, equity, and inclusion for women, Diane Feinstein, she's your champion right there. But she does not, that does not translate to people of color. Now there is one exception. I was reminded this morning by a political consultant who I spoke to covered Feinstein and been in the game for a long time, that she did have good rapport with Asian Americans coming out of San Francisco. Mm Mm-hmm. So there's another example. She, she, you know, it's important. I think if you represent California, that you have a great rapport with Asian Americans. They're important in California. They're important in Los Angeles. But again, if you're going to go to bat for for gay Americans, for Asian Americans, and for women specifically, don't then get to shrug off my complaint about what you do for Latinos and African Americans. Yep. Um, saying, oh, I'm here to represent everybody. Yeah. Not here. Um, so so how do you think um, she got away with it all these years, decades, in fact? She is very good at the skill of politics on issues like criminal justice reform or immigration. She is a moderate to conservative. 
don't forget that she went to Washington with Barbara Boxer, mm-hmm. and Barbara Boxer was seen as the more steadfast liberal and Feinstein on immigration, on ag issues. Uh, she tended to be more to more of a moderate on border security. I won't say she was a Republican. She was like Republican-ish. And, and that is a smart play. And she was able to uh, survive the, the 90s with all that anti-immigrant pushback. Uh, the mob didn't, didn't blow her out. Whenever I speak to conservative farmers in the San Joaquin Valley who normally vote Republican, they love Dianne Feinstein. Mm-hmm. The reason they say they love her is because she goes to them and says, look, I'm a city girl. I don't understand farming. I plead ignorance. Just teach me. And if she had said that to black folks, I'd have a lot more respect for her because mm-hmm. she could go to black folks and say, look, I don't understand your community, but I'm here to serve you. So instead of me trying to tell you what you need, why don't I just ask you, uh, what can I do for you? What do you need? How can I help? Mm. And she didn't do that. Well, to, to your point now about uh, her being uh, a senator alongside Barbara Boxer for any number of years, Barbara Boxer, to your point, uh, was seen by many uh, as a more uh, avowed and avid liberal. And not only was uh, Barbara Boxer seen as a more avowed and avid liberal, some would even call Barbara Boxer progressive. And I think on some issues, Barbara Boxer was, in fact, progressive. I'm wondering if... One of the ways she got away with being more moderate is that we had a more liberal, progressive senator alongside her for many years in Barbara Boxer. I think that's right. I think I think the two definitely complemented each other in that regard. They came in together. Um, again, there's a lot of stuff you can praise Feinstein for. You can say that her legacy and, and being an advocate for women and for the assault weapons ban and for abortion rights. You know, those are issues she cared about. She was a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, mm-hmm. uh, even though she's not a lawyer, by, by the way. Yeah. Uh, she she ha- delivered the goods for some elements of the Democratic coalition, just not for all elements of the Democratic coalition. And I think you're, I think you're right. The fact that Boxer was there meant the Democrats did have a, a liberal, dependable vote. Yeah. And they could afford for Diane Feinstein to go a little more moderate. Specifically to your community uh, on the issue of immigration, which I know matters a great deal to you and to uh, obviously many others across the country. Um, how would you grade her on the issue of immigration uh, vis-a-vis your community? Look, it's kind of a mixed bag because she co-sponsored in 2007 a really important piece of legislation called Ag Jobs. That was basically a, 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 an interesting partnership between farmers and uh, the UFW and uh, the United Farm Workers Union to come together and find a way of providing a workforce for farmers. Mm-hmm. And so that was not a bad thing, particularly if you care about, you know, a workforce uh, and, and legalizing the undocumented who work in the fields. So we give her credit for things like that. But also she, she's voted for the Secure Fence Act. She believed in she was for the fence before Donald Trump was ever for a border wall. She was the first one there. She uh, uh, worried about increasing illegal immigration. And don't forget, Tavis, it's really tough, I think, to be a Democrat running through the 1990s mm-hmm. when President Clinton is, is creating Operation Gatekeeper to militarize the border and Governor Wilson is pushing for Prop 187. And you and I were hosting a radio show in Los Angeles at the time. Mm-hmm. Every night, the vitriol, the hostility coming back. Imagine being a U.S. senator having to stand for re-election against that kind of vitriol. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I get it. It's been a tough road for her on immigration. Um, but, you know, let's just say if I, 
if I got picked up by uh, the Joe Biden administration and I was headed on a bus to Mexico, she would not be my first call. <laughs> I got you. Um, we are going to talk, and <laughs> we're going to talk in our second hour. I just uh, teed it up uh, moments ago at the top of this hour. In our second hour, we're going to talk about Jimmy Carter. Uh, we have a guest on who um, uh, is going to talk yeah. about talk about what he calls the unfinished um, agenda of the Jimmy Carter presidency. We'll get him to unpack what he means by that. The unfinished agenda of the Jimmy Carter presidency that is in our second hour today. I had the honor, as you know. Uh, Ruben, I've interviewed Jimmy Carter uh, many, many times over yeah. the course of his public uh, public life. As a matter of fact, of all the presidents I've interviewed, and I've interviewed most all of them during my broadcast career. Jimmy Carter, I went to look the other day, I've interviewed more than anybody. Bill Clinton comes in second place. Mm-hmm. Obama mm-hmm. comes in third. But I sat down for many, many conversations on radio and television with Jimmy Carter. And I started this hour playing a clip of one of my conversations with him where I asked him specifically, um, how he would rate his presidency, the issues that he thought he did best on. And so we played that clip moments ago, and we'll come back to that conversation in hour two. I raised that because um, Jimmy Carter uh, is now 98 and has acquitted himself quite well since stepping away from the White House. Uh, yeah. Joe Biden yeah. is now above 80. Um, Donald Trump uh, it will be above 80. Uh, and you saw the comments the other day by Nikki Haley, which I was you know, a little disturbed by, but her comments that anybody above 80 ought to get checked for, uh, for for cognitive issues if they're going to run for president. And she said that and all hell broke loose and people are calling her uh, ageist uh, and a bunch of other things that are not so kind. And maybe she is. I, I didn't like that comment that just because you're above the age of 80 that you ought to be checked cognitively to run for president. Uh, the point I'm getting at here is that Dianne Feinstein is now 91 when I think of Dianne yeah. Feinstein, I think of another white woman, let's be clear about it, another white woman who was begged to step aside and wouldn't do it. And you know where I'm going. Her name is Ruth Bader yeah. Ginsburg. People begged her right. to step aside, and she would not. Right. And we are looking now at a Supreme Court that is divided the way it is, yeah. in part because Barack Obama and others gently tried to get uh, RBG to right. step aside and she would not. Now, in Diane Feinstein's case, she's 91 and all the reports are that cognitively she doesn't have it like she used to have it. There have been interviews where she's repeated herself, interviews where she was asked a question and she really wasn't aware of a previous answer she had given. So it's clear that, that, that Feinstein is not tracking at 91 the way she used to. I'm not an ageist. What I am asking is why these people won't step aside when they know that their best years are behind them? It's a, it's a very good point. And just, brother, a couple of uh, general corrections. Uh, so Feinstein is 89 years old. 89, I'm sorry. Be, uh, she'll, she'll be 91. When, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. She'll be 91 at the end of her term. Got That's it, right. got it. That's correct. The correct, correct, correct. The other, thing, the, other, the other thing is, you know, Nikki Haley, that swipe, when she talked about people should be checked for cognitive decline, she wasn't just talking about Joe Biden. The, the figure that she gave, the age was not 80. She said it's not anybody over 75, mm-hmm. okay, which which includes Donald Trump. It does, yeah. And so I think a lot of people saw that as a swipe by Haley against the former president, her former boss, which she's going to have to distinguish herself again or differentiate herself from soon. So I, I think that your point is very well taken about Ruth, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. These are incredible women who've had incredible lives, and all, all power and respect to them. And I feel they must think to themselves, look, I got here. It was hard for me to get here. I'm going to leave on my own terms. I'm not going to be forced out. I'm not going to be pushed out. But you have to think of things bigger than yourself, right? You have to think about what it's doing for the country. Right. Your example of Ruth Bader Ginsburg giving us the Supreme Court we have now, very fair point. And now you end up in a similar situation with Diane Feinstein. There have been videos of her falling asleep in committee. 
she's just seen as someone who is holding on to this job longer than she should hold on to it. And ultimately, she has to think about the good of the party and well, the, the good of the state of California. The, the good news, though, in this instance is that if something, uh, God forbid, were to happen to her between now and the end of her term, and I thank you for that correction, yeah, she will be, I, I meant 91, at the end of her term when she'd run for re-election uh, right. if she were to stand for it. So That's thank right. you for that correction. Um, but um, the good news in California is if anything happens to her, at least we have a, a Democratic governor in Gavin Newsom who would get a chance right. to uh, to replace uh, replace her. Uh, and to that end, there there's some black folk who are still mad at Gavin Newsom that he didn't pick a black woman to replace Kamala Harris when she became vice president. People wanted a black woman uh, to replace a black woman. He chose not to do that. He went the Latino route uh, with right. uh, with our current senator, Alex Padilla. But now there are at least three people already announced in this race for the Feinstein seat, One include, which includes a black woman. Uh, we all know out of Barbara, mm-hmm. out of Oakland, Barbara Lee just announced this week that she's running. Uh, Katie right. Porter, uh, Katie Porter, a white woman, is in the race. And I've forgotten what it's like to have a male senator from California. We've had women for so long. But <laughs> Adam Schiff, <laughs> Adam Schiff is in the race, right. of course. So what do you make of the field that's already assembled uh, suggesting that they want to, they want to fill this wow. seat? Well, look, I, lo- I love that Adam Schiff is in this because, you know, he's a white male and they never get anything. So I, I, I feel good. I, I feel good about that. Uh, but I think, I, I think that ultimately it's going to be a very competitive race. Mm-hmm. Uh, think about the fact that the last person who held this office had, held it for 30 years. Yep. So I think people realize that if they can just get elected, they're going to be able to stay there for a long, long time. It's a very powerful seat, very powerful state. But, but that really gets to the point of it, right? If you're going to be a senator from a state like California, the most populous state in the country, uh, that carries with an extra burden because you represent so many people. Mm-hmm. You represent a lot more people than if you were the senator from Rhode Island, right? So in that regard, you have to think about a couple of things. How well has Diane Feinstein served her constituency over these last few years? How well has she served them in the next year or so? And also, in terms of my initial criticism, you have in California a very multicultural state. And the very fact that she didn't represent a black, white California, but a white, white California, uh, she didn't ultimately rise to the occasion of this multicultural state uh, where whites are now, I think you can check the calendar, a statistical minority in California or soon will be. And so I think that's the unfortunate part of it. She is sort of a relic from an earlier time, and she didn't evolve with the times and say, wow, you know, I, I represent California. Uh, it's, it's a mosaic it's very diverse. I need to make my representation very diverse. Yep. I uh, not, my staff, my issues, my all that stuff. Yep, I hear you. I now have a better idea, as do you, of what uh, Ruben's next column, syndicated by the Washington Post, will will, <laughs> will be, uh, given that he's teed us up a little bit. Uh, I love having Ruben on. He's my friend and my brother. Uh, and even... Uh, uh, though we don't always agree on issues, uh, like him or loathe him, love him or hate him, and I love him and, and I like him, um, he always gives me a different way to consider things, a different way to look at things. And so it, he's raising this issue today of examining uh, more fully uh, the uh, the record of Diane Feinstein, never mind her 30 years in the U.S. Senate. But again, uh, she's announced that she, of course, will not run for re-election in 24, but will continue to serve out her current term in office. We'll be talking more about this as this race heats up, which now features, as I said earlier, Katie Porter, Adam Schiff, Barbara Lee. It's going to be a fascinating race to watch in the months to come. Um, Ruben, good to have you on. We'll do it again, my, uh, do it again, my friend. Thank you for your time, sir. Appreciate you. 
Take care. Love you, brother. Take care. Bye-bye. Love you back. When we come forward, a conversation with Dr. Ron Daniels about the upcoming State of the Black World Conference, number five, in hour two, a conversation about Jimmy Carter, hour three, the motivator, Les Brown, all of this today on Tavis Smiley on KBLA Talk.